Hello and welcome everyone to this week's Truth to Power. I'm Justin Mogg, one of the programmers here at your community radio station. We are Forward Radio WFMP LP Louisville, broadcasting from the top of the historic Hayburn Building in downtown Louisville at 106.5 FM. And we live stream to the world at forwardradio.org. Please go to that website become a part of our community radio station we want you behind these microphones maybe you, you could be take part in a future truth to power or maybe you could create your own program here on the station that's why we're here so go to forwardradio.org click on participate and uh, chip in a few bucks while you're there click on the donate button help keep us on the air it only takes twenty dollars a day to keep this great community resource going so help us out today and uh, what we're going to talk about today on truth to power is land access and food production here in the city with uh, some of our friends from the Food in Neighborhoods group. You can learn more about them at foodinneighborhoods.org. Uh, and we've got three folks joining us along with uh, Hart Hagen, my usual co-host, for host of Climate Report. And uh, let's talk every day on this station at 7 p.m. Welcome, Hart. How are you? I'm doing great, Justin. Thank you. Excellent, excellent. And uh, on the line with us in the virtual studio, uh, we have Abby Rudolph. Hey, Abby. Hey, how's it going? Great, great to see you. Abby's a new, brand new PhD student at U of L in the Urban and Public Affairs program, focusing in on sustainable development. Uh, she's going to be my colleague at U of L. I'm really excited to get to know her more today. Uh, and uh, we also have on the line Stephen Edwards. Uh, Stephen, welcome to you, my friend. Hello, how you doing? Good, good. Steven's a, a, a Russell resident and aspiring urban farmer. He's an educator and an activist. Uh, and we're going to talk about his story of trying to get access to land for agriculture in the city today. And also on the line joining us is Andrew Kang Bartlett. Welcome, Andrew. Hey there, Justin. He is Associate for National Hunger Concerns with the Presbyterian Hunger Program and uh, has been very active in, in the Finn group, Food and Neighborhoods, uh, for a long time. Tell us a little bit about the history of this group. If Maybe that's the way to start, Andrew. Oh, yeah. Well, it goes way back into the 90s. Yeah. Just uh, with a consistent mission to try to make food more affordable and accessible so that food justice core has been really what we've been about and yeah just that moves us into urban agriculture into policy issues and trying to get stuff on the books that'll help support uh urban farmers and people in need of good healthy food which is everybody hmm. a lot of cities have and ours did briefly a food policy council right and and food and neighborhoods is kind of filling that void wouldn't you say it is, yeah. We are the official default food policy council. The official default. Uh, that's how I feel a lot. I'm the <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so, why is this issue of land access come up now? You all are working on a, uh, or have produced a guide, right, about land access? Uh, yes, we have. Um, so many of us in the coalition are connected with different community gardens um, around the city. And something that we found we had in common was having land security issues. So um, having an issue that where whatever tenure we have on land is is not permanent. Um, and that's really difficult because, you know, gardening and urban agriculture takes a lot of investment. Um, yeah. of time 
energy of labor. And so that feeling that at any moment it could kind of be um, decided that that land is no longer going to be set aside for you and is instead going to be developed in another way is can be really heartbreaking. Um, and it's something that unfortunately happens a lot uh, over and over again. <laughs> so um, that is what drew us to that issue. Um, and since then, we've, we've found that it resonates also with a lot of just um, neighbors, um, individuals who are interested in gaining access to land, um, like Stephen. Yeah, but there, there's a real irony here, right, Stephen? There's tons of vacant land in our city that is not being used for any productive purpose, right? Yes, yes. And what's really, I guess, um, the bigger problem with it is that West Louisville is a known food desert. So... We know that we don't we don't have food in West Louisville, and when someone is trying to use the land to create opportunities to grow our own food, there's barriers to stop it. Yeah, so I mean, I think a good place to start with, my friend, is your story. <laughs> um, you've been facing these huge roadblocks to purchasing land from our city's land bank, right? Uh, it, it, land right there in Russell, where you live, that you want to. Uh, do some good work on. You want to tell people about about the the idea you have in mind? Okay, yes. Yeah. So um, in April, I bought a plot of land on 26th Street. And it was, I recently started getting into health and understanding uh, the importance of food, natural grown food in our community. So I started uh, a small garden. There's two empty lots next to me that I acquired about you really don't get any very many answers. You um, yeah. the the website is you know really tricky mm. um, in understanding. Um, so they so I feel like that they make the I mean that the rules was kind of made to where we didn't where we can't get the information that we need to be able to be successful in right. gaining access to this land. Right. So it's yeah. it's hard to even know what the process is and to see what's available, right? I mean, that's just a, that's a huge barrier right there. Yes, yes. And then, I mean, on top of that, it's like they change the rules. The rules are being changed as as the community finds out about how to access the land. By the time you find out, they've changed the rules to how you access the land. So. And that's that's such a shame too because uh, it, it's so much potential. It's right there, uh, and and it's we can see it. We're neighbors to this vacant land, uh, and and we can't even get access to it. Uh, it, it, it Abby or, or Andrew, is this is this a citywide problem too? I mean, we're not just talking about the West End, Russell, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and actually, so some of what Stephen's referencing. Um, yeah, I mean, there are, we've gotten different answers um, from different people regarding some of our questions. We've gotten answers that don't really seem to align with the information that's on the website. So that was really one of the main reasons we wanted to make this guide because it is really difficult to figure out the process. And we wanted to just get all the information at least in one place, even if it is changing and we're going to have to always be editing it, you know, at least to kind of start to suss out like what is accurate right now. Um, and yeah, there are huge barriers. Um, we actually got an answer via email from someone um, that works at the land bank that says that they just will not sell uh, properties to someone for the specific purpose of growing food. Um, so that is, wow. that's 
bad um, because it hasn't always been that way. That is some that must be an internal policy that they've decided to implement fairly recently. Um, so that's something that we really want to kind of get to the heart of and figure out why that policy is there and maybe it doesn't need to be. <laughs> um, so <laughs> yeah. The, the way I used to understand it is if you lived adjacent to a vacant property that's in the land bank uh, and, and you mowed it and took care of it, uh, you could you could attain it for, for very affordable. I don't know. Does anyone want to share the exact details of how it used to work? Yeah. So the, um, the adjacent... You mean before European settlement? Yeah. <laughs> no. People shared the land. Before the uh, the policies suddenly shifted oh, on sorry. us. Here. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> before European settlement would be a very good conversation. Yeah. Yeah, before we had private property. Um, well, so that is the, the adjacent lot program. Um, but, you know, Stephen has been um, taking care of the lots next to the lot that he owns. Um, so we were hoping that he would actually be able to qualify for one of those programs, but apparently it has to be a dwelling. Um, and, of course, in areas like West Louisville and Russell where there are many um, vacant properties and often they're right next to each other. You know, a lot of times there's not a residence. Next yeah. To so, um, that's a barrier too. So what is this about? Why is the city making this difficult? What can anybody possibly, I mean, we don't have anyone from the city here to justify this, but what are they telling us is the reason they're doing this? I mean, part, part of what we need to find out is, yeah, what their motivations are for yeah. making it so hard to get yeah. land because it would seem that it would be a win-win for everybody. Someone like Stephen wants the land. He's going to take care of it. He's going to mow it. He's going to do great. And yet it's very difficult for him to do that. So we've got to figure out, you know, is it that they're just looking for only businesses and things that will bring in revenue, tax revenue? Um, so that, you know, those are the kind of questions we're, we're going with and trying to explain that there's so many advantages to, to putting land into productive use like Stephen's planning and lots of benefits for the community, the neighborhood, uh, for the city overall. So, well, well, Stephen, you're not looking for just a handout here, right? You want to own this property and pay taxes on it. Isn't that the idea? Yes. I mean, pay whatever it is that I didn't ask for anybody to give me anything free when to pay whatever develop it on my own yeah you know so yes but it's for some reason the idea of growing food on it that the city's not down with that and and we don't even know why right man right. Are, are you looking to 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 make a, a market garden here where you would be selling produce and and maybe generating some revenue that way yes i mean eventually once like i said if i can get the land then yes i would however i can create opportunities because like i said we just don't have these, we don't have the food in West Louisville. We don't have access to the healthy alternatives yeah. that other communities may have. Yeah. And, and you're pretty- Some, Somebody told me you were going to get Holstein steers and they were going to get loose <laughs> and run all over the whole neighborhood. I, mean, I heard that. <laughs> there you go. Maybe a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a <Right>. chicken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's already been doing like some really great programming on the lot that he does own. Um, so I'd love to 
to draw attention to that. Stephen, do you want to talk about some of the stuff that you've already been doing? And you've only owned that lot for a few months. Yeah, so um, currently, uh, well, we've done a seedling drive where we gave out over 250 um, seedlings to people within the community. Um, I've also, we do yoga classes wow. on the land. Um, on Wednesdays, we do Tai Chi every Wednesday on the uh, property at the garden. So, you know, just things to try to uh, create um, opportunities for the community to get involved. Um, last week, we did a, a clothing drive where we uh, people donated clothes and we gave them out to people in the community who um, needed uh, access to clothes who may not have had the money. So um, we try to continuously bring things to the garden that's good for the community. Um, but, you know, there's, it seems like there's barriers for the growth of the of it all, so. Yeah. Well, well, how did you acquire that land in the first place? I um, I purchased it from a private uh, oh, family. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that's, that's the thing. Like all these vacant lots around town, some of them are privately owned. Some of them the city owns. Um, is it, does Logic, L-O-J-I-C, does that have the information about who owns it? And is that a place the public can go to learn? Or or how would we even know who owns a vacant lot? Um, I don't know. I, I seen a, it was actually a relative that was selling the lot. Yeah. So I I seen the for sale sign in the, in the, um, at the lot. And then once I brought that, I found out that the next two adjacent lots were vacant. Hmm. Where's that located, Stephen? And how many acres are we talking about? Half, third of an acre, eighth of an acre? Uh, it is is two small lots next to us on 26 uh, between Madison and Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wouldn't say I wouldn't say a quarter of an acre. Is, right. No, it's probably, yeah. Yeah. Like a so, or something. And so you're growing I'm, stuff on it this season? Yes, yes. Um, what are you growing? Right now, we're growing, um, have a lot of tomatoes, a lot of peppers that I'm uh, growing. We uh, did greens. Um, yeah, it was mainly tomatoes, peppers, greens, uh, cabbage. Um, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> it for right now. And we're about to harvest that and start a a winter, yeah. or I guess a fall harvest. I mean, okay. We don't we don't have winter anymore. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Is yours the only garden on the block, or are other people doing this too? No, I'm the only garden on the block. Yeah, yeah. And what about, I'm wondering about water access. That's another big concern for urban growers. Um, you know, if there's no, if there's no house on your lot anymore, that means you probably don't have tap water. What's your situation? Um, I don't. Um, for for a long time, I was um, actually transporting water from my house to um, to the garden, and with water the garden like that. Yeah. Um, now I have a water burrow, and um, I water the garden with that. But like I said, that's still I don't have access to public water. And I've heard, you know, what my understanding is it could be quite expensive to get uh, tied into the city water. And then 
it's it's really hard to get uh, what what should be the situation is you get sort of a rural rate, a, a farm meter basically on your for your water, right? And and is that even possible in the city, or do they not allow it? Well, we're we actually just had a conversation in the Food and Neighborhoods Coalition with someone from the Louisville Water Company to um, try to get those rates. But right now, no, there's not a program that is like a reduced rate for, for gardens. So um, that's another project, <laughs> another way that an, another barrier needs to be removed. Um, there are many of these. So uh, if you wanna get involved, we need more people to be working on all these issues. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I think one of the reasons that Stephen's project is, is so awesome is because it's also really gonna function as like a learning space. You know, Stephen's a teacher, he's a natural teacher. Um, he's kind of a natural connector of people from what I um, can, can gather from my time with him. And um, I think people just really like migrate to his space and, and feel invited and welcome there. So things um, is such a good opportunity in that neighborhood to see like, look, this is something that you can do. You could put this, you could have one of these at your house too. So um, anyway, I'm going on a rant about how great I think his garden is. <laughs> <laughs> Which we all love to hear. That's awesome. <laughs> Stephen, what would you like to grow it into like next year? What's the next stage or the next step for you? Um, I would really like to... Um start planting trees. And that's what, that's one of the main reasons that I want to make sure that I own the land because right. it takes a couple of years for the trees to actually be able to produce fruit or nuts mm -hmm. or whatever they're going to produce. And I don't want to invest in them, the city, like you said, just come and take the land from me when it's not mine. Right. You what know, kind of, what kind of trees are you thinking about getting? Um, definitely, um, apple trees, um, some nut trees, just, um, I, I haven't really planted them out. Um, I have a cherry tree at my house right now at, at my home. And so um, I know I'll at least put a couple of cherry trees on there. Just different trees so that um, I want my space to be more of an introductory to other um, people who aspire to be gardeners and, and urban, urban farmers. Right. Um, so having the variety and introducing them to different fruits and, you know, vegetables and, and all these and showing that you can grow it. You can even grow this in the West end, in your home, in your backyard. Like that's kind of. Man, what I like to, that's like beautiful. I mean, that that's what we need <laughs> is more examples of doing this right. Uh, and, and, and converting a, a, a space that's not doing any good for anybody, right? That the city is having to pay to maintain, like they're they're coming to mow it, right? Like that's taxpayer dollars being spent to for for no purpose. And I'm sure yeah. I'm sure there's issues with litter or all kinds of dumping going on and vacant lots that you know if you don't own it, you, you're not. There's no incentive for you to take care of it, right? Right. And I and I've been cutting the grass and maintaining, keeping it clean in the front of it, so. You know, like I said, since April, I cut it every week. Um, I clean up in front of it, keep it clean, even though they're not my lots. But I treat it. I want people to see that this is how you treat the neighborhood. This is how you treat your community. 
And that's awesome. That's awesome. We're talking here today on Truth to Power about uh, access to land in Louisville, uh, taking our vacant lots uh, and converting them into a good purpose, whether it's growing food or doing yoga and Tai Chi classes, all that great stuff. Uh, Our guests today here are Stephen Edwards, a Russell resident educator and activist and an aspiring urban farmer. Uh, Andrew Kang Bartlett, Associate for National Hunger Concerns at the Presbyterian Hunger Program. And Abby Rudolph, who's a PhD student and just started at UofL's Urban and Public Affairs Program. And uh, I'm Justin Mogg, and Hart Hagen is co-hosting today with me here on Truth to Power. Um, so can people access this guide that you all have produced about land access? Is it at foodandneighborhoods.org? Yes, um, absolutely. So foodandneighborhoods.org, um, it has the land access guide, also has lots of other um, Louisville specific resources that we have put together. Um, and then also um, local and regional and national resources all about different issues of food justice, food sovereignty, urban agriculture, um, gardening sustainably, um, all of these interlocking issues. Um, so yeah, definitely check it out. And it's also a place where you can go that has a calendar. So if you want to see like volunteer events in this realm, um, or get plugged into our meetings, um, you can also do that. I'm looking at the, uh, the, at the guide that she's talking about. It's uh, very well done accessing land for growing food. And there are four major steps like find the owner and research the site. Step two, community visioning and planning. Step three, prepare application materials. Step four, turn uh, in a community market garden application. And each step has underneath it, you know, several steps. It's just very well organized and very well done. And a lot of additional resources at the end. Excellent. That's that's really... Yeah, it goes to Abby who really did the the work on that and and uh, was designed beautifully i mean the the trick of kind of navigating land bank is part of the issue here but long term we're we're hoping to get some kind of land trust community land trust that can be supporting people also with funds with you know money to buy equipment or to support whatever their projects are and more and more land trusts are getting interested in supporting agriculture, food production. Um, I was just kind of looking up uh, the scene in the country and there's like 1500 conservation land trusts. Most of those are for kind of middle upper class folks that are interested in preserving that nature space. But even some of those are getting involved in supporting agricultural uh, projects. then there's about a tenth of the number of those, about 150 or so community land trusts, mm. which are really geared toward low-income people. A lot of them are around housing, just because affordable mm-hmm. housing is such a problem in this country. But even many of those are getting interested and open to uh, food production in the city and you know, figuring out how to support folks like Stephen and others that want to be producing locally. The way this country is going, that could be very important for people's uh, just survival at some point. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be important to to support the the development of those kind of land trusts. And there's some great models out there in the country that we can we can uh, borrow and learn from. Well, what Stephen is talking about is uh, something that creates actual wealth. 
we usually think of wealth as financial capital, period, end of story. If it's not on a balance sheet, it doesn't <laughs> exist. But uh, the, the, the fabric of a community is a real form of wealth in terms of social relationships, the ability of small farms like this to absorb uh, rainwater so that it doesn't you know the pollution doesn't go straight in uh, the you, if you have you know, if you if you grow trees then you're absorbing carbon if you have a, a, a an organic uh, space a, a biologically diverse space then that tends to be a space where bees butterflies and birds can exist as opposed to mainstream agriculture is a place that pushes all that out i'm just saying so, you know, Stephen is creating actual wealth and we need to work with our public officials to get them to see that wealth is being created here. It's not the wealth that necessarily is very meaningful to those that care only about financial capital, but it is uh, it makes a big difference to a community. And uh, Stephen, you were talking about uh, the health aspects. So is there some, like, did you like have a light bulb come on and <laughs> and uh, okay, hey, let's grow healthy food here? You know. Yes, um, I have four kids, and um, my one of my daughters, she just we go to the store and she doesn't. We we didn't know about the healthy alternatives to food, and she got sick, and we just you know. We didn't know that our food was what was killing us. It's mm. what the 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 net bad food, and you know, um, unfortunately, if you look at the grocery stores, we only have one grocery store in West Louisville. Um, that produce section is nowhere near as stocked as other um, grocery stores in the in Louisville. So if you go to the Kroger's on 28th Street and you compare their produce section to the one on Borstown Road or any other port in, in Louisville, you'll see that the produce, that there's a lack of produce. So not having that access to the healthier foods, just, you know, like I said, it, it was until I moved, until I stayed uh, somewhere else and got to go to a Kroger's somewhere else, um, I didn't know. I didn't know that we was lacking. Um, and then once I came back to West Louisville, then I seen how big of a difference it was just in access to healthy foods. So. And then what you have in Kroger is, uh, you know, there is some good healthy stuff in Kroger, but mainly if it has to travel across several states before it reaches the, the produce stand, then it is bred for durability more than nutrition. And if it's in, if it's a tomato that's grown in only, in a, a field with only tomatoes, there's not much biodiversity there. Where if you, if you have biodiversity around your 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 livestock and your crops, then there's a tends to be a higher nutritional value because if you have chickens that are not just eating one kind of feed, or if you have tomatoes that are being pollinated with and 
and just visited by insects. And then you have those same insects going to other trees like apple trees and pear trees and hazelnut trees. Then there just there tends to be more nutritional value mm -hmm. in that kind of food than if it's just monocrops as far as the eye can see or these huge, cruel animal feeding operations. Just saying, don't get me started. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. And growing our own, I mean, that's a that's a really good way to tackle this. But it's not it, not everybody can grow their own food. And so uh, we definitely got to get more grocery stores. We got to get more farmers markets uh, in these areas of food apartheid. And that's that's why I'm so proud to be a member of the Louisville Community Grocery. Uh, that is trying to do exactly that. Russell is one of the target neighborhoods for the grocery, uh, and uh, everyone can become a member of that organization now at louisvillecommunitygrocery.com. Um, there are some other exciting projects to try and open grocery stores in the West End, too. Uh, one of the black black market Kentucky, I think, is the uh, the other one I've heard about. Um, but these need these need community support. This isn't going to happen just because a Kroger suddenly want changes their mind and is going to want like we know that Kroger's making their money in the suburbs and that's where they're focusing their efforts so we've got to own it <laughs> and mm -hmm. that's that's why these cooperative models or small black owned models uh, uh, the only way we're going to see grocery stores returning to our uh, areas of our downtown that are suffering this food apartheid but but yeah grow, growing more in our in our vacant lots is I've always seen that I and mean, when I ride my bike around town all the time and every time I see a big old vacant lot I'm like farm it man farm it we need we need people to have access to these useless <laughs> lands that are not people don't even let the trees grow up on them like if at least we let trees grow up they'd be doing something for somebody but <laughs> this, these right. lawns your perspective when you realize that oh there might be people who want to farm it yeah. they're not being allowed to you know um i wanted to mention as we were talking about like some other related projects that change today change tomorrow i found out is interested in buying i think 10 vacant lots with the purpose of uh gardening on them so that that's great um and then there's also opportunity corner that's um in russell um yeah they have 18th and Magazine. That's a great place to go check out. And they're hosting uh, weekly farmers markets now, Saturdays, 10 p.m., uh, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So just as much support as we can give the folks that are doing this work and that live in that neighborhood and are doing the work, um, I think that's, yeah, that's that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> so you all were also in the Food and Neighborhoods group where we're working with uh looking for partners uh, to, to work on making suggestions for the land development code, right? You want to talk about that piece of it? Um, I could, I could uh, have, have a, thought, a thought on that. So uh, there's a, one thing that happens with the, with the, we're talking about code enforcement officials. Somebody complains that you have weeds growing up in your yard and you're not mowing enough and a code enforcement official comes by and gives you a citation and you have to mow it even though you know that's not very smart ecologically so we have a friend some of us know rosemary bauman who's a, a gifted ecologist and self-taught ecologist that does a lot of work with louisville nature center well she's been given a citation that means uh, that says she has to mow her lot so or and she's going to figure out how to get around that. But unless you have a lot of determination and resources and knowledge, 
then you're going to fall victim to the code enforcement official who themselves, how much do they know about plant identification? But, you know, you could have you could have ironweed and milkweed and joe pie weed and lots of uh, and, and sycamore trees and oak trees and and maple trees growing up in your space and that's ecologically healthy to let those things grow it's uh, it's good for water quality it's good for pollinators it's good for uh, carbon sequestration and then a code enforcement official comes along and tells you you have to mow all that down Hmm. Um, and the, the code itself is very confusing. Here's what the code says. I mean, you know, okay. <laughs> we, uh, weeds, all premises shall be maintained free from weeds or plant growth in excess of 10 inches. All noxious weeds <laughs> shall be prohibited. Wait. There are eight noxious weeds. It is not a good list. Weeds shall be defined as all grasses. Okay, corn is a grass, right? So yeah, yeah. It, 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 you know, it grows more than 10 inches. Uh, weeds shall be defined as all grasses, annual plants and vegetation other than trees or shrubs, provided, however, this term shall not include cultivated flowers and gardens. So if it's cultivated, that means you planted it there. If a bird comes by and drops it and it, turn, and, and, and it comes up of its own accord, uh, then that's not cultivated. So, you know, nature wants to grow biomass very efficiently, but, but the city tells you to, if you're going to grow it, you, it, it doesn't count unless you go to a store and buy it and put it in, or maybe you transplant it or something. A great deal of effort has to be dedicated to planting something. And then, uh, but, but if nature plants it, then you have to mow it down. But it, you know, it's very, let me continue this statute. I'm almost done. Any plant growing exceeding any plant growth exceeding 10 inches in height on land on land of more than three acres. Okay, get this. Uh, any plant growth exceeding 10 inches in height on land of more than three acres that abuts another parcel which contains a dwelling or commercial building thereon, other than crops, trees, bushes, flowers, or other ornamental plants, shall be at least 50 feet from the property line or 200 feet from an occupied structure, whichever is less. Wow. Okay, so you have to be a lawyer and a native plant expert <laughs> uh, to overcome the silliness of this, uh, and, and, and don't, okay, don't get me started, but you know, you I, look at the look at the okay mowers and weed eaters. They belch out this stuff that is that is not filtered. It's not like a car. Uh, you know, an hour with a mower, you might as well drive a car from here to Nashville to put out that much uh, uh, particulate pollution. Plus, the very the manufacture of mowers and the manufacture of weed eaters is a hugely polluting process. And so we're going to say that you have to you have to take this hugely polluting process. And uh, if it's over 10 inches, well, you know, you've seen common milkweed that's like six feet tall. You've seen ironweed as this purple stuff that grows up. It's like four or five feet tall naturally. All these weeds are valuable native plants. And the city says you have to mow them down because you didn't plant them. And it's not mulched and crap. But so I don't know. Wow. So, so that's, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's, what, what's the Food and Neighborhoods Coalition trying to do uh, to 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 change this land development code. I'm sure weeds isn't the only thing y'all are thinking about, right? Yeah, we haven't really started in earnest, but we've 
just through some coincidences, we heard about other groups, other folks that are interested in getting that particular ordinance changed. I think uh, Wild Ones and Beargrass Thunder are two groups that we're, uh, yeah, we're planning on getting together with and kind of joining forces on trying to get that changed. Abby may have some more. She knows about that. Yeah, just if nothing else, just sort of amplifying the work of other groups um, because it's something that feels like it, uh, you know, it crosses um, with um, urban agriculture and could certainly become a barrier for a lot of people um, with their gardens. So, um, and you know, when we think about um, urban agriculture, we really want to think in terms of um, social systems and uh, ecological systems. So, you know, we, I love the fact that urban agriculture is at such a nexus of social and environmental justice. And so um, I think that that's further on the side of, of this is good for the ecosystem, but all these things are, are connected and contingent on one another. So um, the, yeah, I mean, I think we want to, um, we're definitely in support of groups. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen, have you seen uh, more interest amongst your neighbors in, in people growing their own food since the pandemic? Yes, definitely. Um, I think that the idea that there could possibly be a food shortage mm. um, has, you know, made a lot of people more aware and more interesting in starting gardens um, because that right there would directly affect us within our community. Um Especially after the um, after Kroger's shut down um, for maybe two or three days after it was a um, after some rioting yeah. or whatever, and that's when a lot of people realized that that is the only source of food. And what do we do if they just decide to pull out of Westlake? So um, you know that's why a lot more people are supporting the black owned grocery stores and um you know because pandemic has brought people to make people understand the importance of food just in general and how it can be how fickle it is yeah us not to you know how easy it is for us not just to have it at all so um yes i've seen that and it was evident in the seedling draft because like i said we gave out over 250 seedlings that's um, awesome. And I mean, people were still asking back. It was on the one day and people would call and um, Abby and then would drop off some more seedlings and not hand them out, hand out some more. So, you know, it showed that people was really interested in just trying to start their own gardens and find out about food and gardening. In its, in its own. What kind of seedlings were you handing out, Stephen? Um, we had tomatoes. Um, Abby, let me see, we had tomatoes, we had um, lettuce, we had greens. Yeah, lots of greens. Stuff you um, can put in a container if you need to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because so, not, not everybody has land, but most people have like a porch or something where you could at least put a pot on it. And, right. 
and 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 the other thing going on in the pandemic, I mean, even if a grocery store is open, people are afraid to go out. <laughs> you know, justifiably, a grocery store is a place you could get COVID, and then people are losing their jobs, so they might not have money to buy the groceries that are in the store, right? So there's so many reasons I think uh, that the interest in gardening has just gone through the roof. And um, uh, what we're trying to say here is that the city should be making it easier for people to do that kind of work now by giving them access to the land that the city already owns and is having to pay to maintain in the land bank uh, and and just making it available to neighbors like Stephen who want to do the right thing. Man, that's just, that, I can't believe that they're not doing that. So how do we, how do we get our listeners involved in this? I'm going to remind everybody, you're listening to Truth to Power here on Forward Radio. I'm Justin Mogg, co-hosting with Hart Hagen. We're talking with Stephen Edwards, who's a resident in Russell, an educator and activist and an aspiring urban farmer who's been struggling, struggling to get access to land from the land bank. Uh, And Andrew Kang Bartlett and Abby Rudolph from the Food and Neighborhoods Coalition. You can learn more about them at foodinneighborhoods.org. So what can citizens do who hear this story and say, that's not right. I want to get involved. Uh, Should they just start coming to Food and Neighborhoods meetings? Or is there some easier thing to do, like an advocacy like call the mayor i mean who's in charge of the land bank anyway (laughs) yeah so um certainly we would love for people to start coming to meetings um they're all virtual they're on zoom you can find them like i said on our website um and they're they're open to anybody you don't have to be an expert um we welcome just people from the community that's who we are right so um that's one thing um, we're also working on a letter from our group um, to the land bank and then also like to Metro council members um, about this specific issue because, you know, this is something that is in like plan 2040 that apparently, you know, we as a city say we want to do that. There, there is a lot of documented cases of this um, city government saying that we want more pocket parks, we want more gardens, you know, we want to make a more sustainable city. Um, So we just want to figure out like, well, how can we help you do that (laughs) and help you take away the barriers that are keeping that from happening? So um, this is all part of the vision that that I think the city has on paper. And so just figuring out like, well, where are the sticking points and making sure that representatives and people that are in charge of making policy understand that they are sticking points um, because it's not everybody's area of expertise and that's okay. But um, if we can be experts in the community and educate policymakers, then I think that's the role we need to take. Well, let me ask you, Abby and Andrew, uh, have you found any uh, Metro Council members that are helpful or members of the mayor's office? Abby, Abby just wrote I'll take to that our, as a no. our <laughs> council yeah. person who we yeah. uh, share in common. And uh, yeah, I got an immediate response of how can I help? So. Um, you know, I think we're encouraged that if we put it out there and explain the situation, like Justin said, you know, this is a win-win for the city and for the community. Um, we're hoping that we'll get a good response and get some pressure from Metro Council as well. Yeah, I've had several positive responses um, in a way that it seems that they kind of know it's an issue, um, but don't really know the specific reasons why these issues are happening all the time. So that's why stories like Stevens and other people who have, you know, gone through the process are so important um, because they kind of provide data on like what is going on. (laughs) Um, And then we can work from there. So. 
Well, what would be a good uh, approach? Let's say somebody uh, wants to uh, farm a little bit and they have access to the land, but they need a little bit of guidance. Um, what, where, uh, what do you do from that end? What do we need to do as a community? Well, I have a book called like The Urban Farmer by Curtis Allen Stone that seems to provide a lot of good guidance for how to run an urban farming business. It draws distinctions between urban farming and rural farming. And so that's one possibility to get involved with reading. And another thing is to hook people, aspiring farmers up with Stephen or with our friend uh, Mike Jackson or, uh, you know, people that have been there, done that are growing stuff anyway. Yeah, and the, the, you know, not to keep directing people to our website, but we have put a lot of work into collecting resources on, on community gardening and on agriculture. So um, on the foodandneighborhoods.org website, um, you know, the UK Extension Office is in Food and Neighborhoods, and so is the Soil and Water Conservation District. And um, so there, we have worked with them to compile a lot of resources on just like how to's, um, lots of like YouTube channels that are really great. Um, uh, I just found out of a new one, Bear Fruit and Grow LLC is a new, um, she's a black gardener um, and she is, she's actually trying, there's like a, there's a campaign to help her buy a farm right now too. So um, mm -hmm. double, double shout out to her, but um, she has a great YouTube channel um, with how-to videos, so resources, and also just like connect with us. And oh, we also have on Fridays we have a gardening um, talks, like just kind of a casual like conversation hour with a lot of experienced gardeners and then some new gardeners. Um, and that that information you can also find <laughs> on the website. We also are on Instagram and Facebook, but. Um, that's just like a very easy, breezy way to connect with other people who are growing food in Louisville. An extension. <laughs> Cooperative Extension offers some help here, too, in Louisville. I, that's a question, though, I, I wanted to direct to Stephen. Like, OK, if you got access to the land, would there still be other barriers? We talked about water. Uh, but what about things like tools and, and access to compost and other things you need? Um, you want to tell us about what that some of those problems might be or, or how you're working around them well i haven't i have been there's been a lot of helpful um working with abby she's um she's pointed me to different groups that i want to help with like finding access to mulch um mm -hmm. uh, you know there's there's people in the community who are willing to help and and give access to tools that you use things you know um because I think as a community, we want it to happen. Mm -hmm. we, want, we want everybody to come together and we understand the importance of urban agriculture. Um, I think it's just more so getting the city to understand the importance of urban agriculture. So uh, getting back to my question about who runs the land bank, is it overseen by like a board of mayor appointed people? Does anyone know who's in charge? It's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that's actually one of the things we're, we're trying to figure out. Wow. Um, it's definitely affiliated with a city. It's not clear that it's under the jurisdiction of Metro Council. So it seems more like it's under the mayor's domain. Mm. But 
yeah, we don't know if there's a board that's also involved. It seems like just the staff people is who Abby's been talking with and communicating with. So anything more, Abby? It's closely affiliated with the Office for Community Development. I think it's sort of like under that umbrella. Um, but yeah, I'm working on a study with another um, researcher, uh, professor at UofL to kind of figure out governance structures of green spaces in Louisville. And it's um, it's taking us doing that to figure it out. So it's, it's not that wow. like clear, it's not that transparent. Um, and we are learning those very things. Any idea, any idea you can give our listeners of like the scale of this, how many properties or how, how many acres does the land bank own that we could be putting to good use that the city's just been sort of sitting on? I think, I think I heard the average piece of property in there sits in there for decades, right? It's not like it's just being held for a couple of years. It is it's just sitting around doing nobody any good. So like how big is this issue in Louisville? It's quite big. I don't remember the exact number. Maybe you've got that, Abby, but for some reason, I'm thinking somewhere 1,800, 2,000 vacant lots. I mean, it's wow. lots. So yeah, lots of good land out there, potential for growing food. And that's green just space. The, that's yeah, just, we're, we're talking probably overwhelmingly, we're talking about uh, you know uh, plots that are maybe eighth of an acre, right. at most a half an acre. And that tends to be, it's close to where, it's close to the farmer's markets, it's close to high-end restaurants where you might sell it, it's close to uh, the customers that would ordinarily subscribe to CSAs. So there's a, 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 an opportunity for farmers to grow a diverse offering of, of vegetables and possibly small livestock. And um, so I'm just saying. And some of those tree fruits and nuts that, that Stephen was talking right, about too. Right. Um, uh, right. Yeah, I mean, my wife's been growing almonds in, in the city, uh, and nobody else has got them to sell. Right? Like she's she's the only one, uh, and she she got she was the first one to ask the land bank for vacant lots for an agricultural purpose. This was. Oh, 2012, 13, something like that. Um, and she was successful in acquiring five contiguous shotgun lots in on Portland Avenue. Uh, but the, I, I don't know why her success and, and Stephen's success in managing the lots he's got and the one adjacent to it. Like, why doesn't that speak to the city about the potential here? Uh, it, it's crazy that, that, that I, I mean, and then we don't even know who's in control. I mean, it's, maybe it's just like, oh, a bureaucratic snafu or <laughs> they're just clearly not getting direction from the decision makers who claim to be supporting urban agriculture and food justice in Louisville. Uh, like, like Stephen mentioned, it seems like there's a lot of community support for this, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah. I'm glad you feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> we were nervous. Yeah. I think also just um, hopefully this, Things like being on this radio show and kind of uh, writing this letter from Food and Neighborhoods and getting these cases documented. Um, hopefully the research that I'm going to be doing in my PhD studies is all going to be focused on this. I mean, hopefully it will be a matter of like making it a little more plain and more obvious and like maybe, maybe it, part of the problem will be um, helped by just like laying it out for mm. people that can do something about it. Um, but also showing that like, look, this matters to a lot of people in the community. And like, we all, we all understand it now. 
um, because it is convoluted and it's not, it's not an easy thing to figure out. But if we can kind of get that vision laid out for us, then, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll know where to go from here. It looks like an opportunity for Louisville to be a model city, you know, it's a place where people want to live. Uh, and I've never been in a city with more vacant lots than, than we have here. I mean, Detroit is even more extreme, uh, but I never lived there. So, I mean, yeah, this is, this. It, it's always been top of mind in, in mine when, when I go around Louisville. And, and so it's, it's always an opportunity. <laughs> That's why we're opportunity city, right? <laughs> like possibility city, if we do it right. And if we, if we prioritize it and Hey man, we could tie it into an anti-racist agenda because most of these vacant lots are in our in black and brown neighborhoods in, in Louisville. Right. So if, if we really want to respond to the demands we're here, from the public right now to do something to in terms of like a reparations of a sort how about access to the land that's sitting right there that's publicly owned and doing nobody any good yeah there's this uh, farmer in upstate new york some of you might know her name her name escapes me she says we have to feed ourselves to free ourselves mm. if you're not growing your food locally, then you're subject to this corporate food system that extrudes poison pills. And uh, the USDA says Cheetos are safe and, <laughs> Coke, and Coke is good for you, uh, even though it's laced with glyphosate. I mean, you know, anyway, the, the we're going to, we got to grow food locally in order to be free from a corporate food system that does not have your best interest in mind. They only want profit. And Steven, Steven saw that directly with his daughter getting sick, right? I mean, that's that's a story we see in right here in Louisville. Yeah. We ask how how she's doing, Stephen. Oh, she's, she's doing well. Like I said, we um, we started working on changing our diet, and I mean, we understand now that health is our wealth. So mm. just changing the mindsets of the community and changing um, how we eat. You know, gets some of the people my when I made my change, some other people in the family, they started eating differently. Oh, yeah. Um, it's it's a struggle with me. I'm still struggling. Um, <laughs> I <know. laughs> you've, you've tasted them good tomatoes, though, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> but we um, have the growing. Still, I'm sorry. But you still see people who are, you know, that as they eat natural foods, they're not using as much medicine. Their um, their health is improving just by changing their diet. So, um, like I said, I think that this is something that we really need, um, particularly in West Louisville, but all over Louisville, just in general. Um, we need access to land so that we can grow and produce our own food, and um, help help out our community, help take yeah. care of ourselves. Did the kids resist at all when you started bringing in them fresh vegetables? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it depends. Some, sometimes it's certain things that they want um, that they'll eat, but you know, certain <laughs> things they still not <laughs> they're not with it yet. So um, stuff it with cheese and deep fried first, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about how to extend the growing season. Like you can get fresh vegetables, you know, a few months out of the year and then 
like what opportunities do we have for preservation, like community uh, canning and fermentation, et cetera, and also uh, like greenhouses, hoop houses and things like that? Global warming, we may not have to worry about hoop houses <laughs> and greenhouses. I've got passion fruit growing all over my, uh, my yard and it's supposed to be subtropical or tropical. Yeah. But yeah, for sure. There's there's lots of ways, and with cooperative extension, there you know they can hook you up with hoop houses to do season extension, or just a simple row cover to put over your vegetables to keep the insects off, but just yeah, extend that season so you can grow into the winter. It's uh, easier and easier. There are USDA grants available. Um, Kurt Mason did a lot. He's retired now, but he did so much good work on making sure that. Jefferson County got some grant money um, and it didn't all go to, to rural Kentucky um, because there are there are urban farmers. And so there is a there's a, a grant program specifically for high tunnels um, in Louisville. And you can access that um, through Soil and Water Conservation District, I think, is the, the fastest way to to get there. But, um, yeah, it's great. And I know like Fifth Element Farms, also known as Apocalyptic, Apocalyptic Acres, has been doing some awesome work, putting up hoop houses and growing food in the West End. Um, have you been connected with them, Stephen? Yes, yes. I um, we, we talk often and she's giving me a lot of um, tips. So, um, yeah. They're rock stars. And, and that's. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of what I was saying earlier when I was saying that the community kind of com comes together. And as soon as I said that I was interested in gardening, I just put it out on Facebook, and people started contacting me and saying, "Hey, you know this person," and you know, um, and everybody's been very good about sharing information. So, um, like I said, we are uh, we are really blessed yeah. to have such a um such a sharing growing community yeah um it's just getting access to the land so that we can and, use it and one thing i wanted to mention too that land is especially in russell a lot of the west end is a river terrace which means it's pretty darn fertile good loamy soil right you've been having some success haven't you Stephen? yes i've had great success um and i planted directly into the soil Nice. Um, a lot of people was telling me to do uh, raised raise beds, but I didn't, when I first started, I didn't know. And um, it's been, everything's grown beautifully. So, yes, the, the uh, soil is very fertile and it's good soil down there. And we should be growing something other than grass with it. <laughs> Oh, right. Yeah, man. Oh, this has been great. We're grass is America's leading uh, crop. Yeah, it is. The largest acreage of irrigated crops in America is lawn. It's crazy to think about. Uh, in our last minute here, anyone want to throw anything out that we didn't touch on yet that you want to be sure people know about? Uh, great resources at foodinneighborhoods.org. Uh, check out the new guide that's come out to land access. I also want to point out that there is a guide on the homepage uh, specifically created during the COVID-19 uh, crisis about the Lou Food Guide uh, for how to get access uh, to local and sometimes free food and farm resources, right? Uh, any last comments before we go? Andrew and Abby, you're doing great work. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for 
Yeah, thank you, Stephen. Great to get to know you all. Uh, thanks for joining us today here on Truth to Power. And uh, we'll be back again in one week's time here on Forward Radio. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.